This is the Happy Rant Sports Podcast, in which Ted Cluck and Barnabas Piper rant about old sports, new sports, sports books, sports movies, and anything else related to sports that they feel like. Enjoy. Hey, welcome to the Happy Rant Sports Podcast. I am Ted Cluck, joined as always in studio by my good friend, my partner in sports radio, Barnabas Piper. Pipe, it's been a while since we've gotten on to talk about sports. Uh, I feel like it's been a lot of NFL lately. It's going to be a lot of NFL today. Um, I, I want to talk baseball strike stuff with you at some point, but but not today. Uh, I've held off on getting my MLB well, point TV. of clarification. Yeah, it's a lockout, meaning the owners are the bad guys, right? As right, opposed right. to the players. That's right. Yeah, well, I just want to. I mean, we need to make sure we're mad at the right people here. That's right. Well, I'm I'm mad at everyone all the time, as per just life in 2022. Um, yes, but I'm not mad to be talking about football and about NFL head coaching hires with you, Pipe. So uh, I want to talk about this last weekend's divisional round of playoff games. In that they were all great. But there's a couple specific things that happened in the wake of the Bills Chiefs game that I that I wanted to ask you, and I wanted to ask them as they were unfolding, but I knew we'd be doing this. So Bills Chiefs ended in overtime, ended in a scenario where the Chiefs won the toss, Patrick Mahomes drove them down and scored, and then the game was over. And almost I could set my watch by the text that I was getting from a certain kind of friend who wanted to complain about the NFL overtime rules. And these are the same friends that send me like spreadsheets about how college football should be realigned and how college football playoffs should expand. And I can honestly say I could care less about any of that, including the NFL overtime rules. Does that move the needle for you at all? Could you care less about NFL overtime and how they do it? Uh, not not exactly, but like rule changes in general. I, I just there's there's a big picture. Like I just want the game to be better. So like I yeah. hate targeting rules. Yeah, I hate I hate the way that review is used because it slows everything down. So th- like that ruins the viewing experience. So my gut reaction when that happened was I want more football like yeah. this because that yeah. game, especially the last quarter, was so spectacularly fun. Yeah. And so I was mad that the game was over. I was disappointed. I felt terrible for the for, <laughs> yeah. for the Bills cuz you know Josh Allen was just a flamethrower. Yeah. But as I've trying to remember, I think I think somebody interviewed Kyle Shanahan and he said he shrugged and said, "I feel like if you want the ball back, you ought to be able to stop the other team." Yeah. That's a good point. And and I thought about it and I was like, "Well, that is basically the baseline of football." Yeah. That's right. You know, can you stop the other team and get the ball back? I, yeah. And so you know, I I was like, I guess what, that, what that's what may, I was getting. Is there at. a way to is there a way to improve overtime? Maybe, but like I don't like the college overtime where they whatever start from the twenty five yard line and they just go till somebody ends with a lead. Yeah, the people that were because out, it, that feel that feels like fake football to me. No, I agree. The people that were outraged about it were they were talking about it in the kinds of terms where it sounded like Buffalo didn't they didn't even have an opportunity to put their players on the field. They were talking about it as though if you won the toss, you got to just like scrimmage on air. You know what I mean? And like yeah. have that period in practice where you're just running your plays on air. And I was like, no, Buffalo was out there. 
You know, they they allegedly or, have a defensive genius as a head coach. Like, I don't when, figure. And Buffalo's out there twice. Like, Patrick Mahomes drove them down with 13 seconds left to tie the game. Like, one stop in that. Like, you get one incompletion. One, one you know, stop them short of the first down. And they just handed him 70 yards. Like, yeah. I, it's... It's one of those things where you want you want things to be better because it was such a good game. You wish there was a different. There was you wish there was more of it. Like sure, yeah. But the rules were not the problem in that game. Yeah, Buffalo's defensive play calling ended up being the problem in that game. Yeah. So I want to ask you another question about about that game, but about quarterbacks in general. The amount of like just slobbering adoration for Josh Allen I feel like has never been higher than it was after that game and again I'm not on social so I'm not seeing it exactly in the same way that you probably are but like the text that I would get from certain people just ready to like anoint Josh Allen put him in the hall of fame you know he's the greatest Buffalo Bills quarterback ever and I'm like ah, Jim Kelly went to four Super Bowls he was not too shabby either um I don't know like I guess where you at conceptually on our need to anoint people right away. Uh, I think oh, this I is hate a, it. Yeah, I it's hate a, it so much. Okay, yeah, I I had hoped that it would elicit that kind of reaction. Talk about that. I anointing anybody cannot happen until there's a body of work. Yeah, you know, you know, so and 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 because you need to see the trajectory, like Tom Brady for the first like seven years of his career. Yeah, was super successful from a winning standpoint and super mediocre from a statistical standpoint. Yeah, like, he was throwing he like thirteen touchdowns and nine picks. You know. Yeah, he just he he was he was he was the quintessential game manager. Right. Bill Belichick was the defensive whiz. They ran the ball fifty-seven times a game with yeah. you know big backs, Corey, Corey Dillon, Dillon, whoever else. Yeah, and uh, and then. The, the game changed. They brought in Randy Moss. Yeah. Then there was, you know, chapter whatever, 11 of his career. He goes to Tampa. Like, I think it's fair to say Tom Brady's the greatest quarterback of all time now. Yeah, I agree. But but it took until the last, say, three to five years for him to cement that. Yeah. You know, and so the – and but the fact is as soon as there's an agreement on that, people are looking for the next greatest. Oh, They're looking totally. for the next great rivalry. And, like, just – it's a failure to appreciate what's going on in the moment – yeah. And it's also a failure to recognize that most guys who have been anointed flare out after a pretty short amount of time. Or they find their ceiling and you're like, they're a good quarterback who has yeah. the occasional spectacular game. Right. You know? And I, so I, I hope Josh Allen is the next greatest quarterback. But I hope the same thing for Patrick Mahomes. I hope, you know, football is better yeah. when every quarterback is perfect. Yeah. So, yeah, I want Matthew Stafford to be the best version of himself on the Rams. And that, you know, that game against Tampa was really fun to watch because you're like, oh, oh my gosh, we haven't had yes. a chance to see him do this. It was great. And so th those kinds of things are, yeah, I just, the anointing thing. And you see it a ton in basketball because basketball yeah. is a little bit more one-on-one -on -one matchup stuff, you yeah. know, where players can go against each other. And it's, fans just love to be like, who's the greatest? Well, I mean, I think it's MJ. I think LeBron has an argument. I think yeah. Kareem has an argument. I think Bill Russell had an argument in his mm -hmm. day. Well, that's mm -hmm. a different era. 
and and anointing the next whatever it just takes away from the like but do are you do you realize how good they are right now yeah that's right because if you anoint them the next whatever you're just setting yourself up to be disappointed in their career as opposed to going i got to watch one of the best shooting guards ever or one of the best quarterbacks of the last 15 years or somebody who plays the game differently than everybody else like i think josh allen's unique because he's he's what we wanted cam newton to be yeah and he's better at it yeah you know, an insane athlete who can run people over with a cannon of an arm, who's learned how to be a pretty uh, nuanced and efficient passer. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like we we rob ourselves of enjoyment by doing the anointing thing. I know. And it, and it speaks to that, like, we want to we have a take so that we can eventually be proven right about having the take. But nobody has the patience to actually like wait it out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, or go back and be like, hey, that take you had seven years ago was so stupid. Like, yeah. there's there's a Twitter account called Old Takes Exposed. Okay. And it will go back and find tweets from like Stephen A. Smith or whoever, nice. political takes, and be like, hey, that was pretty dumb. And <laughs> But I, I feel like if you're going to – there there ought to be some, especially if you're in – if you're getting paid to say this stuff publicly. Yeah. There ought to be some record of it. Sure. You know? Like, for example, we had a listener who absolutely, it was very kind, but it was very funny, called me out on Twitter for our our preseason predictions about this NFL season. Okay. Apparently, and I vaguely remember saying this, I thought the Bengals, I said the Bengals might win six games, and yeah. I thought they were going to be uh, garbage yeah. because I didn't yeah. have any faith in their coach, and yeah. I thought Burrow was coming off an injury. Yeah. And, uh, and I responded to him, and I was like, man, I love that I was wrong. Yeah. Because they're an awesome They're watch. so fun. Yeah, absolutely. They're so fun to watch. I, again, I want Joe Burrow to be the best quarterback ever, right yeah. up there with Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. Right, and uh, and so yeah, like old takes exposed, but like I'm okay being like I said that because I thought it was what was going to happen. Yeah, and I'm so glad I was wrong. I want most of my negative takes to be wrong because yeah. sports are better when everybody's healthy and good. No, nah, that's a great point. Yeah, to that point, and then I have a I have a question about the 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 Brady Stafford game, but. I had a take in the preseason about how Jimmy G was going to carry the 49ers to a Super Bowl appearance and keep Trey Lance on the bench. And like mid-season when the 49ers were kind of cheeks, I was like, oh, that take didn't age well. And I think I even said it on an episode of this program. But it occurred to me at some point last weekend that I, I, that I was like, oh, that take has actually aged pretty well. And maybe I'm doubling down on hoping to see that happen. But um, well, see, I I think that take has aged badly only because of the verb carry. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I think Jimmy G is the quarterback for a team that could go to the Super Bowl. Yeah, who has had his water carried by a great offensive line, a gr- really good running game. Yeah, and and a defense that is is standing up when it needs to. Yeah. Um, if anybody on offense for them is carrying them, it's Trent Williams and Debo Samuel with this, you know, with the side of George Kittle. I think yeah. Jimmy G sucks. You yeah. know, the more I watch him play, the more I'm like, oh, he's bad. He misses I, throws. He if it's not perfectly on time, he can't do it. Like, yeah, he's. I thought he was like Kirk Cousins with a fair salary. Yeah, he's worse than Kirk Cousins by a fair margin, and that's that's hard for me to say because that's that's a mean thing to say. Yeah, it is. Except that. And maybe this is the philosophical conversation that I've been wanting to have around Jimmy G. I hear what you're saying about him being worse than Kirk Cousins, except that he's played in way more big games 
and by and large been better in them. Uh, so there's that, but also I, I think it speaks to the difference in how teams are built. Right. So in this, I think that's a hundred percent true. And this is why it was weird to me that Shanahan like mortgaged the future to go get Trey Lance because it didn't, it didn't jive with the rest of his body of work in the sense that I've always been a really big fan of building a really great team and putting resources in other places and then just having a quarterback who can kind of caretake it. You know what I mean? This was sort of the this was like the New York Giants in the 80s model where you had a great running back, you had an amazing defense, all kinds of resources on that side of the ball, a really good offensive line, and you just managed the game with guys like Phil Sims and Jeff Hostetler. And they managed to make it work and win two Super Bowls in the Montana, Marino, Elway, like golden age of quarterbacking. So in the in the modern conversation, I was always like, why aren't more teams doing it that way? And I think I wanted to see San Fran do it that way to prove that that model could still work because... Well, and the fact is they, they're in a great position to do it because you get five years of affordable quarterback play. That's assuming, it. Like, yeah. Kind of the, the the Russell Wilson early Seahawks thing sure. where you get the, the, the rookie quarterback or the rookie contract. So yeah. they can still do that. But they got Russell in the third round or the fifth round yeah. or whenever it was. And, you know... Jimmy G cost three first round picks, you know, or not Jimmy G, Trey Lance. So I don't know. I, I kind of want to see the model work because I feel like, and I feel like this season really bore this out in a tangible way. I feel like there's always a scarcity of good quarterbacks and Kirk Cousins being kind of exhibit A of this where like a guy has a decent statistical season or two and they pay him like he's an elite quarterback when in reality he's squarely middle of the pack, right? And he's not winning big games. He's not good in clutch situations. I know that the nerds don't like to talk about clutch, but but whatever, it's a real oh, thing. Oh, but any anybody any Vikings fan can tell you Kirk Cousins is bad in clutch situations. Like yeah. he he is you just wait for him to make the dumb play. That's right. the difference between him and Jimmy G. Like Jimmy G makes a lot of bad throws. He's, yeah, he'll he's miss not on throw. time. Yeah. But he like when the game is on the line, yeah, he's a neutral. He's a neutral. Kirk is a negative. And even like so, this past weekend, so I'm watching this game with Tristan, with my son who's 19, and we're kind of rooting for San Fran, and we're watching it unfold. And the whole time we were just like, Green Bay is one 35 yard over route to Devonte Adams and a field goal away from winning this game. And we kept thinking it was going to happen that way. Cause it had happened that way so many times, but then the Niners get the ball and Jimmy G cause I had the same concerns you had. I was like, can Jimmy G do this or even just keep them in a position to do it? And he hit kind of an intermediate throw to George Kittle, maybe two of those in a row. And then I feel like he hit one to Debo Samuel and I was like, man, on the road, in the snow, high leverage situation. And for whatever reason, the guy was like dialed in at that point. And I was impressed. And the temptation is to want to take that and make it be a referendum on like all of Jimmy G's career. When really what it was, was a good three play stretch that helped them win a, a really important game. But I, I do think that's important. 
Um, and it's maybe not something that you're getting from a guy like Kirk Cousins. And maybe the big mistake in this whole thing is teams' propensities to take a guy like Cousins and pay him like he's Patrick Mahomes. You know, that's the mistake. Oh, I think, I mean, I think we've talked about this. That's my least favorite thing about NFL kind of team building right now is I, I think it's fair to pay Patrick Mahomes, you know, $50 million a year. Yeah. But when the net, like when the trickle down effect of that is paying Kirk Cousins $40 million a year, everything is broken. Yeah. You know, like that's, yeah. One of those guys is worth, 40% or 30% or get or like 20% whatever it is of your of your team salary cap the other one is Kirk Cousins. Yeah. And so like the fact that Matthew Stafford is getting paid 24 million dollars a year is like that's appropriate. That sounds right. about right to me. Yeah. In terms of in terms of you know comparing him to Mahomes or Brady or sure. whoever. And yeah, I I hate the the uh there is no middle class of quarterbacks with right. new contracts. Right. The only middle class are old contracts. Who and uh I I hope that you know, we were going to talk about team building here in a minute and kind of some of the GM hires and stuff. I hope that the new generation of GMs figures out how to do a middle class of quarterback thing where yeah. You know, they hold the line and they say, "Okay, Jimmy, like we would love to have you as our starter this year because we don't have a top five pick. And we, you know, the other guys, Aaron Rodgers never hits the open market. Yeah. Um, We will offer you twenty one million dollars. We can go up to twenty five. Yeah. And if, you know, take it or leave it and he walks and and sees what he can get elsewhere. But like they're not going to overpay just because we have to have a quarterback. Yeah. See, I think, I would rather I would rather pay Teddy Bridgewater eight million dollars and be a bad team and then get a good draft pick, right? Or see if you can get the middle class quarterback at a middle class price and build an actual good team. That's why I think I love the Jimmy G thing. Like he's a middle class quarterback. He's the he's like the working definition of a good middle class quarterback that gives you the freedom financially to have, you know. Trent Williams, Mike McGlinchey, Alex Mack, Lakin Tomlinson, and whoever their left guard is, all of whom are like really competent NFL offensive linemen who really make that scheme work. Um, yeah. Such that you can plug in, you know, Elijah Williams and then eventually make Debo Samuel your de facto tailback and your de facto number one receiver. Like it's really unprecedented. It's a it's a fascinating thing to see work. And I don't know. I'm enjoying it as as sort of a. I'm enjoying it as a corollary to the whole uh, have a star quarterback thing. And uh, well, I mean it. It was the Patriots' way. Yeah. For a long time, and it kind of remained that way because Tom Brady never demanded the salary that he could have. He yeah. basically took the team. He just he was never the highest paid quarterback. He wasn't even close. Yeah. And so before he was a star, he was a middle class quarterback for a long time. Kind of in what they asked of him. Yeah. Like obviously, he's he's blossomed into something a lot a lot better. But it allowed them to pay a lot of guys middle class salaries, so they had competent NFL players across the board and a few stars. Yeah, which almost everybody else in the league is a top heavy roster. Like the Rams being the best example. Right. Just you know, six guys get eighty percent of their salary cap, and the rest of them are like, boy. Yeah, we hope the stars can make up for it, and then they go get Odell Beckham for like fifty-seven cents, which is one of it. It might be, it might be the best in-season pickup of the last few years for a team. Yeah, it was really brilliant, and I really, 
I wanted to see him not be successful for reasons that I really can't even articulate. But I don't know. We'll get into it when we talk about the Browns and when we talk about new GM hires, because I think there's there's interesting like ground to tread there. I want to I want to run something by you from the Brady Stafford game, uh, which, as you mentioned before, was also a tremendous game and a and a just a super amount of fun to watch. There was a point in the third or fourth quarter where Brady took a hit and like Brady rarely takes a hit and he didn't even fall down. And of course, everybody's yelling and screaming about roughing the passer and all that. And then they, they cut to a close up of Brady's face and he's got just like the tiniest dab of blood on his lip. Like the amount of blood that yeah, you would it was get. The, it was the amount of blood that you get like when your lips are chapped and there's dry skin and you kind of yeah. pull it and then it bleeds a little. It looked like that. Or like if you barely nick yourself shaving or whatever. But they photographed it as though he had survived a gunshot wound to the face. And that's how they talked about it. You know, like, oh my gosh, Brady's bleeding. What a warrior. You know, and they're they're doing like the slow motion like cutaway as they go to commercial of, of Brady like trotting off the field. And... It, it it just it kind of shocked me. I was even for TV, which I have a low view of of TV production in the in the modern era. Um, I don't know. Did that move the needle for you at all? That to me was a really interesting thing. Um, I watch most games either on mute or near mute because there's I I don't have the patience for the blathering idiocy of almost any commentator. Yeah, like no matter how good people think Tony Romo is or whatever, I'm like, I can't listen to his voice for three straight hours. Yeah. I can't do it. And so I will turn, if there's a, if I'm watching and I look away and miss something or there's replay and I'm not totally sure what's going on, I'll turn it up to get an explanation. Yeah. I don't need them to tell me what's going on in the game. They add nothing to me. So yeah, I, I, I didn't get the full experience of that simply because I didn't hear them you know, gushing and ooing and eyeing and, and, you know, man worshiping Tom Brady. It's just uh, funny. Although dude. nothing that you say surprises me. I'm, I'm watching these, uh, these documentaries on Joe Montana. Uh, they're on Peacock, which is super random. And they, they have ended up being everything that I wanted man in the arena to be, but it wasn't. And there's all this, like, it's like eighties and nineties, just football porn for me and that there's all this new footage of like (laughs) west coast offense stuff which we'll get into in a minute and like montana stuff but like one of the big takeaways is that guy just took a beating like he just got the crap beat out of him during an era where quarterbacks were taking like a dozen kill shots in one game you know so montana's just getting trucked he even when he releases the ball he's still getting like blindsided by Lawrence Taylor and driven into the ground and like he got his back well, they used broken. to give like a two step there was kind of an understood two step rule exactly that was to, the rule I mean it's kind of like traveling in the NBA you know you look in the 50s and there was no steps except yeah. it's reverse and now now guys can take like euro steps plus three hops and then get their shot off oh my gosh whatever yeah. that's the, you can start like stepping you get barely inside the three point line in the NBA and you're kind of allowed to just carry it up to the up to the rim if you're a long enough yeah. person but and I uh, feel like in the 80s and early 90s, it was basically they looked at the defensive lineman and they're like, well, you were across the line of scrimmage when he threw it. So sure, you get a shot. Yeah, exactly. You know? Exactly. Like, just a, a full running shot into the sternum of the quarterback. So just the savage beating that like Montana took and guys like Troy Aikman and Brady gets like a 
nicked while shaving amount of blood on his on his lip and we're talking about it like he survived a gunshot that was amazing to me and also i'm I'm really glad the rams didn't blow that game um nothing against the bucks i was so nervous they were going to yeah yeah i don't know and i like brady and i like the bucks actually like i really love their roster and how they've done things and i love their offensive line they're super fun to watch but as a long-suffering lions guy who has kind of adopted Stafford as a guy to like, like we always liked Stafford and he always took a beating in Detroit Um, to see him winning is, is really fun. Um, Man, as a, so as a Timberwolves fan, what Stafford is doing now is not dissimilar from what Kevin Garnett did with the Celtics. And uh, I saw this great video clip after the game of, you know, so they, they close it out, hit the big pass, win the game. And, uh, it's of a Lions fan, like a lifelong Lions fan, wearing his Lions Stafford jersey, doing like, I mean, just full out losing his mind, yeah. cheering yeah. in his living room. His girlfriend took the video, and then a friend sent it to me and said, hey, didn't you do basically the same thing when KG won a title? And I was yeah. like, yeah, exactly, because, you know, this guy was with a trash franchise for forever, yeah. gave it everything he had, never complained, fans loved him, and now you get to see kind of see him shine in, in on a yeah. real team. It's fun to see. Isn't that why you love sports, though? I mean, honestly, at like a really deep level, I think we do make connections to these people, rational or irrational. And then, yeah, when you see them succeed or you just see a great game, like I would say I didn't have a strong rooting interest in any of the games. Like I didn't have a an emotional dog in the fight on any of them. I wanted to see Green Bay lose, but that's like I think I, I did too. Saying I'm awake. That was that was probably as close as I got to like an emotional dog in the fight. Um, and then yeah, when that happened, I was happy. But like I was just really happy to watch all the games. They were really good. The performances were really good. The Bengals thing has been a blast. Um, I think they're operating at like max capacity. But I would be I would be happy to see it continue, you know, like a, a Burrow Mahomes yeah. shootout would be just a blast. So um yeah, the Titans lost. Thoughts on that? Like I, I think Tannehill in our pantheon of like middle class quarterbacks, I think he's lower middle class now. You know what I mean? Um where are you at on that whole thing? Oh yeah, I mean I it was it was pretty unsurprising to me. Yeah. I, I think so during the uh I, I don't I don't know if there's any merit in this, but during the nineties, you know, the Atlanta Braves won the division something like fourteen straight times, nineties into early two thousand. They won yeah. one World Series out of all that. And there was just this constant like they they have that they have the kind of roster and the kind of whatever that works during the regular season, but they don't have any of the guys who like step up come playoff time. Yeah. Well, that's I don't know how that works in baseball, but you see the same thing with like Tom Thibodeau as a as a coach in yeah. basketball. Maximizes the regular season, gets everything out of his players, and they get to the playoffs and like they don't have anything else to give. There's yeah. no other level, there's no additional strategy. I just feel like that's the Titans. Like the fact that they won eleven games is a testament to they they figured out how to adjust and like everything they needed to do during the regular season. Playoff football is different and yeah. they don't have another gear. They don't yeah. have Julio Jones is washed and you know, mm-hmm. Tannehill's not a great quarterback. He's a, he can play fine in a system. Yeah. Henry was, Hurt. you know, he looked like yeah. he'd been out for nine weeks or whatever. Yeah. And uh, yeah. yeah, they just, 
they're not good enough. They're not a good enough team to to be a Super Bowl contender. Yeah. Yeah, they're a Derrick Henry production, you know? And and I guess so I, I made this argument in the preseason like if if Tampa loses Tom Brady for any reason, their season's over. Right? Like if you have to go out onto the field yeah. with Blaine Gabbert, even though you have an amazing roster, it's over. Like it's a wrap, and I feel like the Titans are the same way just with Derrick Henry. Like so much of what they do is wrapped up in things that only he can do. Like you take him away and they're playing with one hand, you know, and well, yeah. And it's, I mean, it, it's like the opposite of what you were describing with the 49ers, yeah. you know, the 49ers, it's like, let's build a team where we can run a system and we don't depend on a player to do something. Right. Whereas with the Titans, it's like our offense is really simple. We ask very little of anybody and we depend on Derrick Henry or, um, why am I blanking on their uh, wide receiver's name? Uh, yeah, AJ Brown. AJ Brown, yeah. Who really or, had a you know, slow start Brown. season himself? You know, yeah, he's been injured all year too. Yeah, like he's yeah. just kind of been on and off injured. And basically, it's like we need we need three fifty yard plays a game. Yeah, you're right. To, you know, to win. Yeah, and if we don't get those, we need our We're defense to come up with three turnovers. Yeah, and and so it's like it's it's big plays or nothing. Well, that's. Like, look at that Niners-Packers uh, game. Like, it's, yes, there were big plays, but it was mostly, like, just slogging it out and making stops. And yeah. then the occasional play to, to kind of grind field goal position to a place. I don't know. I just, I think the Titans are built badly Yeah. to, at, at their at their premium positions. I think yeah. they have a really solid defense. Their offensive line has been solid. I don't mean, like, they have a garbage yeah. roster. No, no. But it's, yeah, it's too dependent on Henry which means that if he goes down or if he like the team just loads up to stop him, I don't know. I don't trust Tannehill to win a game. That seems ridiculous to me. Dude, here's a theory. And I've kind of been doing this thing with my two friends, uh, Corey and Jack Hartman. Shout out the Hartman boys who are fans of this program and huge NFL fans. We've kind of been doing via email like roster autopsies of our favorite teams where we just go like position group through position group and talk about what needs to happen and what did happen. And I'm wondering with the Titans, do you, and I don't know what their cap situation or even where Tannehill is in his contract or if this would be advantageous. Do you just go, okay, we've got this lower middle-class quarterback. Would we be better cutting bait on him completely? And just going completely bargain basement at that position, i.e. either a rookie or somebody like Josh Rosen or Mitch Trubisky, somebody like off the scrap heap in free agency and, and go. See, I think the I don't production think that's that we're ever the right answer for a team that's play like th- that is a rebuild move. So the only reason you do that is if you're like in cap hell. Yeah. And you want Dude, a top my- five pick next year. My thought would be though, if you if you do this model and you go really cheap, but then you spend on like a Chris Godwin or a Mike Williams or somebody really elite in free agency and young to pair opposite AJ Brown, and then you've probably still got some money left over to sign like uh I don't know, some upper upper third of the league guard who you can plug in and you make your roster just gradations more elite around the position, figuring that like 
even if quarterback play gets a little bit worse, we're going to be better enough to make up for it and then some. I don't know. I'd like to see somebody try that because... See, I... I think Tannehill's the kind of quarterback you do that with because he is a lower middle tier. And I, I don't think yeah. he's getting paid an unreasonable amount of money. Like, if you do that with Trubisky, you're a seven-win yeah. team max. Like, if he yeah. plays his best football or they have the best defense in the league, which they're not going to. They're going to probably have a solid defense. But See, I think Trubisky is actually just younger Tannehill. In that Trubisky took the Bears to the playoffs twice, or rather the Bears went to the playoffs with him on board. I actually, I could envision a world in which the second act of Trubisky's career is a lot like the second act of Tannehill's career. And that's implying that he's able to progress in similar ways. But I don't know. I think you put yeah, him on the right he, roster. It, and there under is the something right to be said for the fact that since coming to Tennessee, Tannehill has been in a very stable, defined quarterback friendly system yeah and Trubisky was playing for the Bears who haven't known how to run an offense since Walter Payton was their offense yeah no you're absolutely right like you're joking but you're completely right and as an NFC North guy you've seen it (laughs) year in and year out um yeah I don't know I just think it's yeah I in my lifetime as a fan I have not been scared of the Bears offense yeah I I just think there's some creative out of the box type options so let's say in a hypothetical world the vikings were able to like extricate from kirk cousins and his cap number somehow then whether you put in kellen mond whether you sign a Minshew or a trubisky bridge type guy and go cheap there i don't know i i just think it opens up fascinating possibilities elsewhere on the field and to me this is where like football analytics makes sense and where it doesn't really make sense is the like play calling application that we're seeing applied to like really mixed results. So you had Philly basically like running their franchise on a PFF premium subscription. I think they were just using that to like run their team for the first nine games of the year. And they weren't running the ball at all, despite their running back being their best player. If they were running the ball, it was only Jalen Hurts. But then they got more balanced at the end, and they actually started. I was going to say, games. do you mean by their running back? Do you mean their quarterback? So I was right. thrown for there for a second. No, I know it, but like to me, I think the financial kind of implications of analytics in the NFL are a lot more interesting than like the play calling implications. I would rather leave yeah. play calling to football people, and I would rather maybe leave finances to like eggheads and football people. But when the eggheads try to do the football stuff, I think it doesn't go well. Um, which is why, and maybe this is our bridge to like GM and coaching hires, you're seeing some like egghead type movement in the co- in the GM realm. Um, so let's talk about the Vikings. I assume this guy is like an analytics egghead because he went to an Ivy League school and he came from the Browns. Um, what do you know about your? Well, new and GM? he and he has a back he has a background on Wall Street and yeah, yeah. yeah so he's a he's a he's definitely a uh, so his name is. I'm, I'm, um, I don't know if I'm going to get it right, but Kwesi Adolfo Mensa yeah. is their is their new GM. He's young, yeah. He has a Princeton and uh, Wall Street background, and then and then worked for the Browns. And I think he's worked for a couple other organizations too, but primarily the Browns. Yeah, it's it's interesting. What what do you just as a Vikings fan like? What are your thoughts on it? 
it, with that being one paradigm and then the other paradigm being like, I don't know, the grizzled football guy who worked his way up from scout to assistant GM or, or whatever. Um, what yeah, do you think of that the, model? I, so at the GM level, I'm intrigued by the model of people who with kind of an economics background mm-hmm. because so much of building a roster is economics. Yeah. It is it's not even looking at the players. Obviously that's important, but it's looking at the investment. Yeah. We have X percent of our money tied up in X position which ha- which generally produces X amount of value, you know. Yeah. And so, you know, with the Vikings, they have been a top-heavy team for the last several years. They they keep swinging at with with one or two moves we can we can compete for the conference title. You know, in 2017, 2018, they were they were closer. Now, the last few years, they've been pretty middling. And uh, so I I hope like I look at the Browns roster mm-hmm. and I'm like outside of Baker Mayfield. That's a good team. Yeah. And Baker's not a disaster. I just don't think he's a franchise quarterback. I think he falls into that lower middle class quarterback that we're talking about yeah. where, you know, if he was paid the right amount of money, he'd he'd be acceptable for a team. But he's probably yeah. ne- he's never going to be better than Jimmy G is now. I don't think. Yeah, um, that's a good I could comment. be wrong. I, I hope I'm wrong. But um, no. so it, if they learn how to build a roster that looks like the Browns, you're like strong up front. Mm-hmm. You know, solid talent on the outside. Like, and the Browns had better talent on the outside until they just cut bait with Beckham, which was I don't know what was going on there, but like he's proven himself to still be a good NFL receiver. Yeah. Um, they, I, I like where that's going. Um. It seems to me the best coaching hires in recent years, although it's hard to teams turn over so fast, it's hard to say. But like you think about McVay with the Rams, I think Brandon Staley with the uh, the Chargers, mm-hmm. and some of these guys are they're just a different model of coach where they're not like I do this side of the ball, you do that side of the ball. You know, I like you know they're just sort of the, the crusty old guys, but they're they're definitely football guys. Like you hear yeah. Sean McVay talk football. The game is his life. Yeah. But he's open-minded. Yeah. So you see them t- do different things. They, they can be run-heavy. They can be pass-heavy. They can they can go heavy personnel. They can spread it out. He went and got his quarterback, and they played differently this year. Yeah. And and you look at that, and you're like, that's I, I want a coach who can do that, not just a yeah. guy who's like, this is my system. This no, you're I absolutely do. right. That's Belichick. Basically, what the, Vi- the Vikings have been the exact same team for the last like seven years with – they run the exact same defense, and mm-hmm. teams have more or less figured out how to how to beat it. Yeah, and they've run the same Kubiak esque offense, which is good, but has never been great. Yeah, and I would love to see somebody who's willing to kind of go, "Oh, let's roll with the punches. We're gonna we're gonna actually scheme instead of system, dude." So let's let's zip through the Vikings list of head coach interviews. Uh, I'm going to zip through them real quick, and I just want your like knee-jerk reactions to all these names. Yeah. Uh, because they represent – the names themselves represent different types of people. Uh, Todd Bowles. Um, I'm open-minded. Bowles didn't have a great – I think he coached the Jets before, and he's been coaching the Bucks yeah. defense. And uh, I will say this. As a principal, I don't like the alternating offense-defense thing. We yeah. had a defensive head coach. Now we need an offense. Like then you just end up with the opposite weaknesses. Yeah. And so I, my guess is that Bowles is probably in a position 
to 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 do a way better job this time around. Mm-hmm. Um, having been on a team where they're the the offensive defense are balanced, he's hopefully learned from some mistakes. I would be, I'd be neutral but trending optimistic if that was the hire. Yeah. Okay, next one. Jonathan Gannon. He's the current Eagles defensive coordinator. I don't know much about him other than the Eagles weren't that great. Um, your yeah, thoughts? I've heard him compared to Brandon Staley, except that Staley, Staley had a lot more success. Yeah. Um, and I think the only thing they have in common is that they're young. And yeah. so Gannon seems like a guy who probably needs to go through a I don't want him. I don't want a guy yeah. with with minimal experience or coming from a team with minimal success. Also, I'm not sure how bullish I am on Staley. Just after Staley's body of work this year. And again, vis-a-vis our are we anointing people too soon thing. I don't I want to reserve judgment, but um I'm I'm not sure I'm not sure how good Staley is. Uh So here's a quick quick word on Staley yeah, yeah. that I would just say trends positive. He was a defensive coach who came in and the Chargers offense actually was as good or better. Like uh, their star quarterback took a step forward this year under a new head coach and a defensive head coach. I think that trends positive for him because that means he he is he is learning things about how to lean on the appropriate stars and not just come in and go, we're doing things my way. It's a defensive team, yada, yada. Yeah, no, it's a good word. Next one. Kellen Moore. Cowboys offensive coordinator, kind of a darling of him. the yeah of the okay. Talk about why. I he's thirty four years old, thirty three, and like yeah. that that can work. It worked with Sean McVay, but that's about the only time. Mm-hmm. And I don't think Kellen Moore is a genius. Yeah, I think I think uh, I think the Cowboys offense wasn't that good this year. And yes, they yeah. had a lot of injuries, but like. He he has gotten credit for a five game stretch of Dak Prescott's career where Prescott looked like he was going to break the passing record. Yeah, that's it. And he yes he's he's worked with two different head coaches. That's a positive because it it shows something about his ability. But like yeah, I just I I would be perfectly content if another team paid him like you know he can be I don't know whoever's still looking for a coach. Yeah. If the Bears hired him, I wouldn't be scared. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, that would be a very Bears thing to do um i wouldn't put anything past the bears uh all right next one this one's kind of interesting to me kind of on the todd bowles level uh raheem morris rams defensive coordinator currently yeah i i would be wide open the one thing i like about raheem morris as opposed to todd bowles is raheem morris is in his mid 40s and bowles is close to 60 yeah. And I do think there it, it's rare for an older coach to be pliable, yeah. to learn, to to adjust with the game. Mm-hmm. Morris has has done. I think he was he's done. I think some interim head coaching. He's coached offense. He's coached defense. He's coached on some good teams. You know, teams that mm-hmm. uh, that have that have been very successful during his tenure. I would be I'd be pretty bullish on that hire. I think. Yeah. Next one, Rams offensive coordinator Kevin O'Connell. Young guy, was a backup quarterback in the league, had a cup of coffee with the Patriots. Kevin O'Connell's claim to fame is that he's been like amazing coach adjacent for a long time. 
Like he's done the Shanahan yeah, thing. He did the Pats thing for a while. Yeah, he's an interesting guy on that level. I would be I would be nervous about this because I, you know remember two years ago or whatever it was where every coach that got hired was like oh he's friends with the cousin of Sean McVay <laughs> yeah you yeah, know it was after McVay's sure. first year I yeah. just kind of wonder if he gets the shine from the people he's around yeah maybe he's a great coach yeah but I don't know I'm I'm skeptical yeah um next one Dan Quinn. Cowboys no. defensive coordinator again. I don't want him. A lot of love for the Cowboys coordinators in the ho- in the head coaching cycle. Dan Quinn has done it at a high level before, um, yep. but you don't want him. Real real quick, why? Uh because of how he coached that Falcons team. Uh-huh. You know there there was the aspect of like yes he well he was a defensive coach who had a bad defense. Yeah, yeah that team was right. good when Kyle Shanahan coached their their offense and then we're mm-hmm. bad when he left yeah. and Dan Quinn, you know, and he, and I think he's a great defensive coordinator. Dallas's defense was, was really fun to watch this year. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, thank you. I hope I, you know, I hope the bears hire him and continue in utter mediocrity. Maybe they can hire him and Kellen Moore's co co uh, head coaches and, and then continue in mediocrity. Again, not putting anything past the Bears, that's for sure. Last one, uh, as far as head coach interviews that the Vikings have conducted, D'Amico Ryans, 49ers defensive coordinator, young guy, mid-30s. I remember when he was a player, uh, played for the Texans. Thoughts on D'Amico Ryans? I don't know. Um, I would be intrigued. I, I think the the hesitance here would be coaching experience. You know, yeah. there's something to be said for just having done different <clears throat> things in the league for long enough. Yeah. And and he's pretty – I mean, he had a long playing career. He was a yeah. really good player. Um, I think San Fran – I think they've had, a, they, they've had a good defense, you know, mm. pending depending on health. So yeah. I, I wouldn't hate it. Yeah. I just – he feels like a blank space to me. So, again, it'd be yeah. like neutral, skeptical, but open to optimism. Yeah, if we're doing the like do the opposite thing, getting a young guy after you've just gotten rid of like an old crotchety yeah. guy in Mike Zimmer, it would kind of it would kind of make sense if we're doing that um kind of approach to it. Um, I really wish they would bring in Eric Bieniemy, frankly. Not not I mean at least for interviews. Like I he should be in the running. Dude, the Bieniemy thing is fascinating to me. Like and the the narrative there is oh, he's a bad interview guy. And I, I'm I'm like, how bad can he be? Like, look at the Chiefs. Like, that's his body of work, you know? It's pretty dang good. And BNB's been kind of multiple in terms of how he's done problem solving over the years. You know, um, you you get iterations of the Chiefs offense where they run a little bit more, they they let Mahomes freelance a little bit more, but um it's been it's been good. Um yeah, he's it, been he's been assistant coaching at different levels for a long time. Like I think he was the running back yeah. coach of the Vikings for several years, and and maybe that's it. Maybe he's just a difficult personality to get along with. But Andy Reid seems to like him, and yeah. Andy Reid is one of the most respected coaches in the league. I just there's something about a like a so I I also wonder if they're avoiding him because he's the offensive version of Mike Zimmer. Yeah, where Zimmer was a longtime defensive coordinator, mm-hmm. a lot of success. Under some under some big name head coaches, 
Yeah. Was a bad interview, strong personality, finally yeah. got his chance at like 58 or 59. And, you know, his body of work with the Vikings was was overall successful. You know, several yeah. games above 500, multiple playoff appearances. But it wasn't like you just get to the point where you're like, oh, that's your ceiling. Yeah. And I just wonder if they see the same thing in Mm-hmm. I just I don't know. I if you could bring a little bit of Chiefs to the Vikings on the yeah. coaching front, like they, I yeah, I don't know. I think he deserves a shot somewhere, and I wouldn't be I wouldn't be mad if it was the Vikings. Yeah, it'd be interesting. I think the Vikings are among among the more attractive vacancies that that there are in this cycle. You know, um, certainly more than I don't know. What's a, what's a better job, the Vikings or like the Giants? I think the Vikings, because of the ownership group. Yeah. Um, I think the Maras are a disaster, as has yeah. been shown by their their structure and all that stuff. The Wilfs are a, a pretty hands-off ownership group who's willing mm-hmm. to spend money. They let their last GM and coach stay in place for a long tenure, even through some yeah. bumpy years. So it wasn't like a knee-jerk, rough-year fire them, which... I think it's pretty essential to team success. They built the best team facility like in the NFL in yeah. terms of practice and, and health facilities and all that. So, yeah, I mean, it's from an organizational standpoint, it's a great gig, assuming that this new GM is is good. So, yeah, yeah if it, it coaches should be eager to take it I, and, and and they have they have some decent talent Uh with some flexibility in the next year, you know? So yes, Kirk cousins is taking up a ton of money now, but he's, he rolls off the books next year. If they just let him walk. That's true. Yeah. That's very, and true. then you free up that money. Yeah. You have a hole at quarterback, but like you got options yeah. to fill it. They've Absolutely. invested a lot in a young offensive line. They've got Justin Jefferson, who's a top three or four wide receiver in the league. Yeah. And so forth. So there's, there's, there's a nice baseline to work with. Dude, I have one last hiring cycle thing to talk about, and then we should probably wrap it. Um, I sort of adopt a bad team every year to be interested in, which is dumb because I'm already a Lions fan, which means I'm already interested in a bad team every year. But (laughs) um, I kind of got into the Texans thing when it seemed like the Texans were just doing this, this huge purge, right? They're trading everybody. They're stockpiling picks. They're putting together this like um, major league esque, like Cleveland Indians circa major league roster where it's, it's everybody else's cast offs and castaways. And they even hire this head coach, David Cully, who felt like a, just a lame duck. I mean, he felt like what he ended up being, which was like total sacrificial lamb, a sacrificial lamb. And yet they win four games and they're in four or five other games and they played hard the whole season. Like, I looked at Cully's body of work, and I'm like, I would have loved to have been a fly in the wall in team meetings because he's clearly good at leading men. Like, something was working in that building where those guys were playing hard and they were bought in, even as, like, their stars were getting traded and the Deshaun Watson thing, you know, continued to devolve. Cully had that team playing really well, and I was just impressed by the coaching job that he did in maybe the worst circumstances of all time. Like um, I'm sure if we delved into the annals of NFL history, there have been worse circumstances than that. But I, 
I'd be hard pressed to come up with one off the top of my head. So there's Where a part of me hired from. I want to say, and I'm probably wrong about this, and I'll get well actually. I think he was on their staff as like a receivers coach. Um, I think he was in house when he got hired. You know what? I'm just going to look it up. Um, so I know the culture of these things and the expectation is that, you know, if you're a rebuilding team like the Texans, you just have to always sort of, um, oh, he was the Ravens as a receivers coach right before the Texans. Okay. So the understanding is in this era that you're hiring somebody exciting, right? That like you're getting a face of the franchise and rebuilding, but there's a part of me that thinks Cully did a really good job. Like, the guy probably yeah. did a masterful job with that group with like Davis Mills and Tyrod Taylor starting games, you know. Um I don't know. I think he he did a really good job and if they got the right person to put a roster together, you could do worse with the head coach hire and they probably will. You know, they'll they'll probably find a way to do worse with it. Um any thoughts on that at all? Yeah, I similar feelings towards him as a coach. I I obviously didn't pay that much attention to them this year, but every time I looked up, they were being more competitive than I anticipated. And uh, yeah, yeah, and I he I don't know why they fired him like yeah. that. I think they just fired him because the plan was to fire him. Yeah, and like you know, cause, like, cause where are they going to be next year? That's better than this year. That's the thing. Like they it, right. maybe they're bringing in a new GM or something. I but I think they just replaced their GM last year. Yeah, I think I think yeah. a he I think he proved himself to be a very good NFL coach. Um, I think he yeah. I think he knew what he was walking into. Like I don't think anything was a surprise, but it seemed to me that he deserved a shot to, to hold that job for another year or two as they started to rebuild things and just see like can he coach talent, not just a, a dumpster yeah. fire of a roster, not just castaways. That's so it. Me, yeah, I just think the way that we go ahead. Yeah. Say, let me. Let me throw out what it kind of fits the same conversation, but another former yeah. head coach who did better, especially in retrospect than anybody expected, who probably deserves another yeah. shot, but I don't know if he'll ever get one. And it's Jim Caldwell speaking. I'm a huge Jim Caldwell fan. Huge. Um, he's an adult. He players seem to like he had him. A winning record with um, the Lions. Like, I feel like that should just be at the he top. He had a winning of his record resume. with the Lions. And the fact that they fired him for Matt Patricia just like sticks in my craw. I mean, that's a tough one. That's just a that's a hard thing to wrap your mind around. But yeah, I think really competent, you know, by all accounts is just really great in the building with people, not sexy, right? I mean, you're you're not and and this is where I was going. I just think hiring a coach in this era it's very culture. It, it's very culturally and narrative driven, right? So you have to either get the guy who's been to a Super Bowl before, or you've got to get the young genius. And there's kind of no other category. In the same way that there's like no middle class quarterback category in the NFL right now, I just think there's no paradigm where you're hiring somebody other than like a young genius or a guy who's been to a Super Bowl. Right. And I think guys like Caldwell exist in this really interesting space where I think there's a lot of meat left on the bone for somebody like that because 
he was able to do some pretty interesting things with a pretty bad roster in Detroit in the same way that Cully did really interesting things with a really bad roster in Houston. You know, I'm just, I'm intrigued by it. And I'm intrigued by what that person would do with a good roster. Yeah, it's, I wouldn't be mad if a team, now the, I, I don't think the Vikings should hire Caldwell because I don't know that, I don't know that they need to bring in a guy like that, but a team like, yeah, um, like the Giants or like the Jaguars, yeah. uh, the Jaguars are probably, honestly, the Jaguars, the Jaguars are going to go with, hired that, with Leftwich, but a team that yeah. has been utterly dysfunctional to bring in a guy like Caldwell would make a ton of sense. Yeah. Who just respects his players, a high is character, classy, yeah. has yeah. a history of overcoming I mean, honestly, obstacles and and you know not in winning in bad yeah. situations. That was the one that made the most sense for me for Jacksonville. Although there was a Jacksonville kind of moving part in which they. They really had to like rewin their fan base, and I think the fan base really wanted Leftwich. And Leftwich has proven himself to be creative and a good coach, and he kind of has the like young genius coordinator pedigree that we're talking about. Yeah, but more, but more, you tenured. know, in addition, like, to, he's been he's been doing it with, but more tenured, yeah, a couple years, yeah, a couple different kinds of quarterbacks. Like he, yeah. They had a good offense with Jameis Winston at quarterback under him. So I'm just going to go ahead. Like, I feel like just like Caldwell can be like, I won with the Lions. <laughs> yeah, he can true. say, I put up a ton of points with right. Jameis Winston. You can just kind of go, okay, well, that's that's what he does. Yeah. And in the same way that you kind of want your takes to be wrong. Like, I want Byron Lefowitz to be yes. successful. Like, he, I remember him as a player. He seemed like a good dude. Um, it'd be nice to see Jacksonville not make a complete shambles out of Trevor Lawrence's career. You know, I'm I'm pulling for that in theory. But you're right, we're going to get through this cycle and chances are Caldwell and definitely Cully are both jobless at the end of it. You know what I mean? Um because they're not the kind of sexy hires the teams are making right now, but I think honestly I think Caldwell could be interesting for a team like the Raiders. They've been through so much kind of off the field upheaval um you know it would seem wise to bring in someone like that and he's like um, the anti-john Gruden in terms of steadiness yeah calmness, exactly. respectability <laughs> like everything that gruden is maturity yeah, the whole, generally yeah, not right. being a jack wagon <laughs> exactly exactly um Pipe, we should wrap yeah. this. This has been fun. It's been uh, it's been a lot of a lot of fun to talk NFL and coaching cycle stuff, and uh, talk a little Viking strategy moving forward. So, do you have do you have like a strong opinion on who you would like to be in the Super Bowl? Based on who's left, I mean, the most fun team to see go would be the Bengals. Just, I agree. I'm really kind of pulling. Yeah, for that. just from a, I think. Yeah, I think I think the Bengals would be the most fun. Um, like a Bengals Rams would be would be yeah. the most fun matchup That'd be to sweet, watch. Dude. The problem is, I would want them both to win. I want Stafford to win, and I yeah. want Bengals fans yeah. to to not be miserable. So, yeah, that would be my that would be my, know, my rooting interest. I would love for my preseason Niners take to come true. But I think I would love for Stafford to play in a Super Bowl more. So I'm, I'm, I'm also pulling for like Stafford Burrow, Bengals Rams. I think it'd be a lot of fun. It'd be a good uniform Super mm-hmm. Bowl. 
Um, I'd be a fan of that from, from that standpoint. Um, really the only uniform combo that doesn't work would be San Fran, Kansas City again, yeah. which was just a gross. Too many shades um, of red and yellow. Super Bowl uniform. Yeah. Too many shades of red and yellow. It just looked like mustard and ketchup running yeah. around all over the field, and it was bad. But um, Rams Bengals would look nice. Um, Bengals Niners would be a nice like kind of vintage. I, yeah, I would want them both to be like what we just we're going to wear nineteen eighty nine uniforms. That's that's oh what my I gosh, would dude, want. I'd be so thrilled. Badly in my heart, nothing would make me happier than that. Um, but we shall see. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens with these coaching hires. Uh, Pipe, it's been a pleasure. We've done what we always do in that we've wandered to and fro throughout some sports conversation. And until next time. The Happy Rant is brought to you by Resonate Recordings. If you go to ResonateRecordings.com, you can see the full range of services they offer. So if you're considering starting a podcast, they are the ones we recommend going with. Again, go to ResonateRecordings.com to see their prices, to connect with them and ask any questions, and to see what they can do to help you launch, edit, master, and improve your podcast. Again, go to ResonateRecordings.com to see what they can do to help you launch and improve your podcast. Jesus wants our fears to launch us toward faith. Then he grins and says, Do you trust me? Because together we can do this. With Mornings with Jesus, you can start your day in a positive way. Find hope through inspirational stories and scripture. Go to lifeaudio.com or search your favorite podcast app for Mornings with Jesus. You can also download the Abide app for biblical meditations at abide.com.